it's Chris Campbell with the Food Institute, and welcome back to the Food Institute podcast. We want to wish you a happy new year in this first week of 2022, and we've got Summer Chanity from Hub International and Rob Baylow from Amwins here with us to discuss insurance options for your food company. But before we dive in, I wanted to thank you all again for joining us in 2021. We're really committed to growing this podcast in the year to come, so please remember to follow us on the Food Institute LinkedIn page and to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And as always, you can find us at foodinstitute.com too. I'd also like to take a moment to thank the sponsor of today's episode, Hub International, and you can learn more about them at hubinternational.com. And with that all out of the way, I have two leading experts on food product recall insurance programs with us today, and we'll start off by allowing Summer to introduce herself. So why don't you get us started, Summer? All right, Chris, thank you for having me on today. It's really a pleasure to be here. I am Summer Chanity from Hub International Insurance Services, which is a full service insurance brokerage. My team and I specialize specifically in risk management and creative insurance placements for the unique risks of the food and beverage industry. And we have access to over 200 insurance carriers and our highly creative and technical team has helped countless companies in this space exceed their financial risk management and insurance coverage goals. And we're grateful to be partnering with the Food Institute in Amwins. Perfect. And how about you, Rob? Would you like to share a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Uh, my name is Rob Balo, and I'm with Amwins uh, Product Recall and my team and I specialize in working with retail agents and providing industry expertise um, regarding both the food industry and those buying this coverage, as well as um, expert advice regarding policy language to best help protect their insured against a product recall or product contamination event. Perfect. And it sounds like we got two people that know the industry and also know the ins and outs of food recalls. And one of the things I realized when I started doing my research for this, even though I've been at the Food Institute for seven years, is that I really don't know a whole lot about the actual process. So I think what we could open up with is just talking about the risks that are associated with a food product recall. And I think the one that people probably think about the most when it comes to a food recall is just the reputational risk that it kind of faces, you know, it basically is a major problem for a company with that reputational side. So I was wondering if you could give us a little bit of an overview of, you know, food product recall, reputational risks, and how it might affect a company going forward when they run into a situation where they need to do a recall. Yeah, definitely. That sounds wonderful, Chris. So as everybody knows, a company's brand reputation can take many, many years to build, but it can be damaged in moments in the wake of a product recall or contamination event. And a lot of companies still continue to underestimate that risk and the financial impact that that reputational damage might have on a company. Some of those top risks that come to mind when I'm thinking about this include brand brand rehabilitation expenses, the physical expenses of a recall, reduced sales due to poor consumer confidence when this type of an event occurs, loss of customers and potential shareholder lawsuits. Any brand that's going to fall short of its values or lose the trust of its customers is most likely to experience a great amount of fallout with its vendors, its investors, shareholders, and customers alike. And what we've found is that it really doesn't matter the size of the recall or contamination event or where the company falls in the supply chain, it can cause customers to think a lot less of a business and its products. And 
that causes significant financial and reputational harm to a company that has taken years to build up its stellar reputation. And it's usually impossible for a company to avoid some degree of damage if there is a contamination or a recall event, but companies usually that are really proactive in their mitigation efforts, we see those to be the most successful in lessening the impact that one of these recall events would have on their company and also help them to come back strong after a recall situation occurs. The good news is, you know, reputational risks, they're quantifiable, which makes them insurable. And the type of insurance that we have to help a company protect this would be a product recall or a contamination insurance policy. And when they're properly structured, these policies can include proper coverage that will help restore a company's reputational damage by offering financial support for crisis management and efforts to restore the company's image. Is that how you see it as well, Rob? Is, is there anything else that you want to bring up or add on? on no, Tamara, I think you really, you know, responded appropriately to it and, you know, to maybe further elaborate on it. I think, uh, you know, the biggest thing is people, it's just people, companies are always looking for, the crystal ball to tell us what should a recall or contamination that look like. And as you and I both know, that doesn't really exist in today's day and age. There's no way to accurately predict what a company's recall exposure looks like. While I wish I knew it and wish I could quantify, I don't have that data available yet. And I just think the biggest thing a company can do to further protect their brand is take the appropriate steps. And whether that's through further enhancing their quality control procedures, better understanding their exposure or really the recall readiness um, is the best way to be prepared. And, you know, I can't stress it enough that um, these events do happen. And when it does happen by taking those appropriate, um, you know, steps in advance is going to best protect them um, going forward. And really, I guess to, you know, officially conclude here on this question, um, the above responses is, you know, how we consider a product recall, product contamination event is really a true financial loss product or balance sheet protection. With that is the brand reputational harm. And for most companies, the brand is everything. Um, so what we can do to help them get back to the original state in the market is always the key when it comes to looking at the brand reputational risk involved uh, following an insured event under a policy. All right, Rob. So we've just talked about a bunch of different types of product coverage that can be offered and be given to a food company. But I think one of the things we really want to nail down here is just the distinction between uh, product recall and contamination coverage and how those differing types of coverage can affect your business. So could you help us out a little bit by kind of breaking that down for us and the subtle differences between the two? Yeah, absolutely, Chris. And I think it's a, a great question and such an important distinction between the difference between a product recall policy any product contamination policy. And I think too often uh, those who are purchasing it often rely on the word product recall. And the first thing when it comes to a product recall policy, it's really tailored towards a recall. The way in which this policy responds is a recall of our insured product, whereby the use or consumption of our insured product has resulted in or would result in some sort of bodily injury and or property damage. Again, if the product was not formally recalled, this policy would not respond. Now, going forward to a product contamination policy, 
it's vastly broader and really focused more towards your manufacturers or anyone in the consumable space, and particularly the food and beverage industry where their products are more likely to be contaminated. So the benefit to this policy is it doesn't require a formal recall, but simply a contamination of the insured product whereby the use and or consumption has resulted in or would result in some sort of bodily injury and or property damage. And to further elaborate on that, the benefits to a product contamination policy versus a product recall policy is this contamination can occur during the manufacturing, during the distribution, during the storage, during the shipping of that product. But most importantly, the benefit to it is if a company catches it during the process of manufacturing and has not been released from their care, custody, and control, it minimizes the potential loss for that company and can reduce their overall exposure. And to kind of round out the major differences between the two before getting too deep here is the difference between the recall and the product contamination policy, most importantly, is where the product is picked up. And I think too often every, everyone thinks that under product recall policy, there's product for that, there's coverage for that product still within their care, custody, and control, where there actually isn't coverage until it's released from their care, custody, and control and has entered the chain of commerce. Whereas under a product contamination policy, product still within insured's possession, as well as product that's already been released into the chain of commerce is both covered. So, you know, we could definitely continue to elaborate on this, but for sake of today's question, I'll leave it there and, you know, open it up for further conversations down the road should anyone have any questions regarding um, additional differences between the two. And something that pops to me in that answer is, you know, like I said earlier, we had contamination coverage, recall, government recall. So when you have one of these platforms, you know, an insurance package, does it usually cover all of these different elements or is it, you know, split into different types of policies? Could you just kind of describe maybe those different types of insurance a little bit more so some of our listeners have a better idea of, you know, what a insurance package on this kind of topic would actually include? Yeah, absolutely. So the risks that a food and beverage company faces in the event of a recall are truly multifaceted. And typically we like to help a company protect them with both proper risk management procedures combined with insurance coverage. And the interesting thing is um, there really are four separate policies that we usually see that can get triggered in the wake of a product recall or a contamination event. And the ones that first come to my mind that I've seen my customers go through have been, in addition to a, a recall and contamination insurance policy that would cover you know, some of the types of events that I mentioned, it can also trigger a cyber liability policy, a director's and officer's policy, or a general liability policy, all as a result of one recall event. And a lot of companies underestimate in particular, the cyber component. And with the increase in manufacturing plants being mostly automated, one might not realize that this introduces a significant amount of potential disruption that can occur with the recall tracking. So if there's, you know, theoretically, like a hacker, you know, comes in and potentially um, changes or even contaminates a product at the point of manufacturing, this could really cause havoc by eliminating the company's access to 
you know, any sort of product testing data or even damage the product in and of itself. And as technology becomes like a bigger driver of these types of recalls in the future, it's, it's really important for companies not to underestimate how tied in cyber can be to the risk of product recall. So that's another policy that can you know, be purchased in conjunction with recall. It's something else that can get triggered depending on the type of recall event that you have that people often overlook. Same thing with directors and officers coverage. Recalls, you know, they can trigger losses against a company's shareholders and directors and officers coverage can offer protection for this type of risk. This would be, you know, what I would be considering immediately if I was a business owner, because it actually can protect a company or rather the actual directors and officers personal assets, which um, typically is critically important to those that are owning and, and running a business. And Another aspect would be general liability, and that offers coverage for products liability, bodily injury, and property damage generally. And these four policies in the wake of product recall um, can protect a company um, very, very holistically. And I hope you don't mind me saying that that's absolutely terrifying thinking about that use case where a hacker is able to, you know, eliminate product testing data, even maybe influence manufacturing itself as it's automated. So obviously a very important thing. And we saw over the summer with JDS getting shut down that it's even the biggest players in the market can get hit by this. So obviously very important overall. And I'm wondering if you guys have any case studies that we could use as an example, maybe good or bad practices when facing a food recall. I don't think we need to name any names, but I was just wondering if you guys could pull any kind of best practices from uh, any recent, you know, food recall situations that might showcase, you know, a, a, the best practice really when you face this as a food maker, what should you do? You know, do you have anything you could share there? I absolutely do. And usually, you know, I like to focus on the positive and make sure that customers are prepared and, and people have a very, very good result with respect to this. So a few years back, and this is just one example of, of far too many, one of my clients sold fruit salad and sliced cantaloupe to major grocery stores. And unfortunately, listeria was detected on the equipment that was used in an area where these products were packed and the FDA discovered it during an inspection. And they traced it back. Fortunately, this company, you know, had done a number of mock recalls. They were really prepared for an event like this or a potential event like this to happen. They had trained their employees. They'd done a really good job of figuring out how to trace different types of potential events. And unfortunately, in this case, it was traced back to a grower from South America. So they didn't have any recourse against the actual grower of the cantaloupe product. But they were able to positively figure out exactly which batch numbers, which sell by dates, and which products were potentially impacted. So they were able to notify their customers right away with those specifications. So that way, the recall stores could quickly, you know, recall and remove the product from the store shelves and inventories and advise customers immediately to prevent illness and any, you know, additional damage that might be caused as a result of consumption. So on top of that, um, one of the, you know, the rep going back to the reputational aspect, um, one of the things that this customer did really well was they issued a press release in conjunction with their products recall insurance company. And 
they help them take responsibility um, and make it known that, you know, this has occurred, but we're assuring, you know, safety and we're making sure that the product is removed. And they did a really great job of, of notifying folks um, so that, you know, no further damage would be caused. And of course they clean their facility and disposed of the potentially contaminated product. And one of the lessons that they learned, the, the greatest takeaway I think from this is the lesson that they learned and that was, you know, making a, a, deter a determination as to which, you know, growers and vendors that they would use on a go forward basis. Because when you think about this, even though the recall wasn't caused by them directly, they were held responsible. And that's one of the things that a lot of food companies, you know, don't realize or, or think about. And so that's the reason why, you know, contractual risk transfer is so important and really understanding what your vendors um, and growers and supplier agreements actually say, because this company had to foot, you know, a bill of a couple hundred thousand. And luckily they had insurance that really helped them control the narrative and mitigate the impact of the situation. And, you know, it paid for certain expenses that they had. And ultimately they were able to keep their clients, you know, due to the way that they handled the situation, but if they didn't have these industry best practices in place, like proper documentation and traceability, and they hadn't actually had regular mock recalls to test their product recall plan, there's a really good chance that this event would have been a lot larger and a lot more disruptive. I would agree, Summer, and to, you know, add on to your response, which I think was, you know, completely in line. I think, you know, the, the truth of the matter is, and not to be you know, super critical is most companies are underprepared to handle a recall or contamination, contamination event. Um, you know, I don't think it's their fault or intention to not be prepared, but I think most companies have the correct document in place, but how often it's tested or tried is really, you know, a question I think is fair to ask. And without a company, I think, fully understanding the procedures they have in place or best practices, I would honestly say with confidence, the one benefit to partnering with someone like yourself or myself is we've been through these events. We've been in the trenches of these claims, and we know how to best respond and appropriately address certain situations. So, um, you know, I don't want to say companies are not prepared, but working with people who've been through it is only going to help provide the best results and outcome um, to get ahead of such events. So, um, you know, we always want to, you know, encourage preparedness, but how prepared one is, um, I don't think most find out until it's actually time to be tested. So, um, you know, always welcome the opportunity to further those discussions with anyone. Yeah, I think one of the things when we all got together and talked before we decided to record this episode that really struck me was that you both indicated that, you know, food recall insurance, whether it's contamination recall, et cetera, is really a last line of defense. So I was wondering if you could share a little bit about the best ways a company can kind of weather the storm that is a food product recall while they're in the middle of it. Do you have any insight either of you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just as Rob said, the preparation and documentation before an event actually occurs, just really maintaining the ability to have, you know, traceability, as well as, you know, 
practicing, you know, through mock recalls and regularly testing your risk management places or practices, you know, everybody might have a recall on a piece of paper, but if you haven't tested it, it might not work in the real world. And if the employees don't know their role, if that event happens, you know, it could be absolute chaos. So I would, you know, just really reiterate, you know, what Rob said about the preparedness and the practice to make sure that um, you're able to, you know, really have success or as much success as you can in a bad situation from this type of event and maintain your reputation, your financial stability and your customer relationships, but also keep the public safe in, in this type of event to eliminate, you know, potential further losses. So that's, yeah, that's what I would say. Proper prevention, risk management and risk transfer, you know, making sure that something like this doesn't happen again. Right. I, the only thing I would add to that as well is I think, you know, one benefit to the risk transfer procedure of a product recall, product contamination policy is, you know, as you mentioned, a lot of companies have these plans in place, how often they're tested, you know, to be determined. But I think it's important to note that most insurance policies come with that crisis consultant benefit or pre-crisis consultant benefit where companies can have their plans reviewed and tested through mock recalls and mock audits, which ultimately is that, you know, we know in sports and anything practice makes perfect where I do think it's an underutilized area of our industry, but the benefit to have an industry expert in the food space review one's plans and procedures and provide real life input is truly an ultimate benefit to these companies in the end. So that's one thing I would encourage if you do have a policy or if you don't to take advantage of these resources available to you um, to just ultimately better prepare you um, in the end. Another topic I'd like to talk a little bit about is just the supply chain. And I'm wondering if you can tell us if there's any differences in recall policies for, say, food manufacturers versus retailers or food service. Can you explain a little bit how liability and recall insurance basically covers the different aspects of the supply chain? Absolutely. So I'll take the first part of that, you know, just really about like the differences for food manufacturers and retailers. And recall policies are super customizable. And no matter where you fall in the supply chain, there's exposure. So if you're the grower, the manufacturer, the distributor, or the retailer, recall preparedness and insurance are both critically important. And many companies have exposure and they might not realize it. So knowing where you fall in the supply chain and what your company's specific exposures and contractual obligations are is absolutely critical. So for example, if you're a manufacturer or a distributor, you might be dealing with multiple suppliers. And in the reality of a recall, there's a good chance that no one's going to step up and take responsibility. So ultimately, you may not think it's your responsibility, but that responsibility might fall on your company's shoulders as a result of your contractual obligations, or nobody else is stepping up and taking that responsibility. And if you're manufacturing a product and you go insolvent, there's going to be a lot of different parties that are coming after you to be made whole. And just because your company is further down in the supply chain, it doesn't mean that you're any less susceptible you know, financially to a loss. So the million dollar question is how willing are you and your company to self-insure versus you know, transfer the risk on your 
balance sheet. I, I would agree. I, I think the best way to conclude and you really hit it home is not taking the approach of we don't have an exposure. And I think so many exposures exist downstream and you said it best of the insolvency. We've seen it tested more and more in the last couple of years, especially for certain um, classes like distributors who never really had a major recall exposure. But with a lot of these grower related issues that have occurred in the last couple of years, timing wise, I think it's appropriate to mention the CDC incident from a few years back where the CDC advised this week, three years ago, for individuals to not consume romaine lettuce. Most distributors were the ones largest impacted because they were forced to recall and dispose of all the product on the retail shelves. So um, I think it was an industry that thought they were pretty much um, invincible at the time. And until the product, until that situation occurred, excuse me, um, no one ever really anticipated that. So I think it's always best to recognize that there is an exposure. It might not be as large as some other industries, but knowing how your contracts come into place and where your risk transfer procedures are, um, are going to only better prepare you down the road should a situation occur that, you know, the insolvency does exist for a supplier and you're the one stuck holding the bag. So there's an old adage out there that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. I'm sure you guys are familiar with that. And it comes to mind when I'm thinking about product recalls. And I'm just wondering, how can food executives think about this and then address these issues proactively instead of using you know, insurance as their last line of defense? Is there a way to be a little bit more proactive about these uh, different issues? Yeah, you, you're definitely right about that. Insurance isn't meant to be the catch-all or your you know risk management strategy it's really meant to be there as your absolute last line of defense if your risk management strategy fails and addition to purchasing recall insurance my advice to food and beverage companies would be to have a really well managed well practiced well documented vendor certificate management program and somebody to oversee that program in your company as well as proper contractual risk transfer methods in order to protect your company in place, because that's, that's really going to make or break who's responsible in the event of a recall when push comes to shove. I, I think the only thing I could add to that summer is, you know, we kind of mentioned earlier, you know, no company's invincible. And I think as long as companies are self-aware and maybe they've never had a recall event or contamination event in a hundred years, and we've seen this happen with, other companies, it doesn't mean when the first one happens that it's not going to potentially bankrupt you. And those situations do occur. So I think the best way to, you know, look at it is really a firewall imagery of this is really an insurance product that, it, you know, serves as a Blake, excuse me, break glass only in terms of emergency where most companies should never hope to actually test this product or rely on it. But when they do, and hopefully they follow the steps and recommendations over the years from the parties they work with, that once the glass is broken, all things fall into line and ultimately lead to them being made whole for the cost incurred um, following such events. 
And I think something right now that might be causing people to be a little bit less interested in the insurance aspect is just the overall drop I at least saw with the Food Institute here. And I'm sure others have seen it too, but food recall and foodborne illness rates really seem to drop during the pandemic. And I'm sure that there's a ton of reasoning behind that. You know, I think you could look at underreporting, fewer food service occasions, some other aspects as well. But I think that might be in the back of some people's minds. So I'm just wondering if you guys could share your perspective of this phenomenon. Personally, I think this is probably just a blip on the radar because of those things. But for someone that might be looking at these dropping rates, looking at automation, other technologies that might be making it a little bit easier to produce a safe product, what would you say to them when they they come to you and say, hey, I'm not sure I need this insurance anymore? Could you guys share what you would think on that situation? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, in general, you know, this probably is somewhat of a blip on the radar, especially because, you know, the USDA and FDA haven't been as much on force or in force on the scene when it comes to, you know, product recall specific programs, but, you know, rest assured they're coming back. And especially, you know, if you're regulated by the FDA, I know that they have started to really come out there and look for the enforcement of their seven major rules under, you know, the food modernization act and the same thing, you know, with the USDA. And although it doesn't fall under, you know, the food modernization act, there are a number of, of different things that, you know, they may not have been on the scene, you know, focusing on during um, the pandemic or, you know, the ongoing pandemic, essentially. And and now that they are actually getting out <clears throat> again, this, you know, this may or may not change. I mean, there might have there might be things that um, have been learned, you know, as a result of COVID-19 measures like hand washing and, you know, different um washing a food at home, or maybe people aren't as willing to go, as you mentioned, you know, to their doctor's office for some sort of a minor, you know, stomach illness that goes away in, you know, one to three days. But um, we definitely think that a lot of the focus has been just on getting the food out. And so many situations have slipped by that normally wouldn't have. And we feel that as, you know, the FDA and USDA are back out on the scene, that probably will change. I, w- I would agree, Summer. I think uh, there's not much more to add. Though. I think really now that the FDA and USDA are back out and, you know, not quite full force, but getting closer to full force, it'll be interesting to see how their impact is on these companies who were so focused on just putting food on the shelves. Um, and now that they're going to be back out with a, with a, you know, a microscope on some of these companies, what impact that has and what um, comes as a result of that. Well, I want to thank you both for your time today. Really informative discussion. Summer, is there anything else you'd like to add before we close this up? Thank you all so much for your time today. And again, thanks for having me. If you'd like to connect further on this topic, you can learn more about Hub International at hubinternational.com or the link to my LinkedIn page will be shared with you. And that's uh, Summer Chanity on LinkedIn. And I look forward to hearing from you. Absolutely. And we'll definitely share a link to that in the description of this episode. And Rob, I'd like to give you an opportunity as well. If anyone wants to learn more about you or your company, where can they go? Yeah, I appreciate it, Chris. You can find me on LinkedIn at Robert Balo, as well as researching Amwin's product recall uh, or just amwins.com. So again, appreciate the time and look forward to being uh, a resource to anyone if you have any questions regarding product recall um, and product contamination coverage. All right. I think that'll do it for us this week on the Food Institute podcast. I want to thank Rob and Summer for their time today. And I also want to thank Hub International for sponsoring this episode. And if you haven't done it already, please remember to follow, like, and share.
We'll catch you next time. This is Chris Campbell signing off.